we will receive the offering at the end of the service, but I just really feel like I want to get into the Word. and I think it's more important that we follow the Holy Spirit than it is that we follow a script. Don't you? Hallelujah, Father. And so uh, we will receive an offering, so don't, 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 don't run away. Because if you knew what an offering did when you gave, you'd be eager to give. I long ago was, and of course I had to learn it, but I have, I've told, you know, if, if you're afraid of an offering or you don't like giving, you just simply don't understand. And uh, when you begin to understand, you'll be like that group of people that Paul taught. They just begged him for an opportunity. And even when he tried to say, no, no, you know, you don't need to give because of your circumstances. I'm paraphrasing. They said, Paul, you taught us too well. You're the one that taught us about the grace of God. Now you're going to try to you know, exclude us from this offering simply because we're in a predicament? And they said, no, 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 Paul, we want to give. And Paul said that they gave not only what they could, but above and beyond what they could because they understood something. And, and I'm convinced, listen, that the, the, perhaps there's two things the body of Christ really needs to know. We need to know who we are in Christ, of course, but we need a firmer grasp on the grace of God. Amen. So that we can, you know, you can't live by faith if you don't understand grace. Because they are not opposing, they are complementary to one another. So uh, today, <clears throat> I want to, uh, first off before, I want to say thank you for all of you who prayed for me. That You know that this past week I had to, uh, last Sunday right after church, I jumped on a plane and went to Michigan, a place I haven't, I've been twice in the last 30 years. And uh, it wasn't a vacation, I have a family member who was a surrogate dad and uh, uh, got the report that he, you know, he went in thinking he had gallstones and discovered he had stage four cancer. And uh, so they've given him about eight weeks unless the Lord does something. And uh, so I went up there to say things that needed to be said that I was too ignorant to say back when I left Michigan. Things like, thank you. I love you. And you, you helped make me who I am. Amen. So um, don't hold it in. Forgive people, love people, and uh, tell them that you appreciate them. Remember last week, we tell you can't, you can't love God and hate your brother. It's an impossibility. In fact, the Bible is so politically incorrect that it said if you do that, if you say you love God, but you disdain your brother, you know, you're not going to go out of your way to help him. The Bible says you're a liar. And we don't want to be liars. Amen. We want truth to dictate our lives. So anyhow, just, just love one another. Love one another. Today I want to share a word with you about living a kingdom lifestyle. And go ahead and put that first. I want to talk to you about living a kingdom lifestyle. And uh, before we get into the word, though, I need to ask you, what does that mean to you? When I say live a kingdom lifestyle, what does it mean? We have, listen, hear me when I say this. You can't achieve something if you're not willing to define it. You've got to define something before you can achieve it. You understand what I'm saying? If, if you want to leave here and get somewhere, you have to know where that somewhere is. You following me? You have to be able to define the place so that you can set your course. 
So when I say live a kingdom lifestyle, what does it mean? Does it just mean a bigger house? Does it mean a faster car? What does the kingdom lifestyle mean? To me, when I close my eyes and I imagine living a true kingdom lifestyle, I picture Jesus. Because he illustrated most magnificently what living a kingdom lifestyle was. And to me, the, one, the most outstanding facet of the life of Christ was he lived a life beyond limits. He lived a life beyond the limits set by the religious. How many of you know that? He did things that drove religious people crazy. Because he refused to live a life set by the boundaries or set within the boundaries of the religious. You know, the Bible says that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. But the religious set rules and boundaries on the free. And isn't that something of an oxymoron? Limited freedom? Not only did Jesus live a life beyond the limits of the religious, he also lived a life that seemed to enjoy defying the law of physics. Physical law seemed as if it didn't apply to Jesus. I mean, I don't care how fit you are, how underweight you are, you ain't walking on water. You understand what I'm saying? You, you, it doesn't, you know, you don't, we understand obese people are going to sink, but so is you fit people. Because without the aid of a flotation device, it's the, beyond the laws of physics to walk on water. And yet, he did it. No matter how scientific your mind, you cannot take a piece of bread, split it into two, and get the cells to multiply and repair the tear. If you tear a piece of bread, you're going to have two halves. Right? And yet Jesus tore them and came up with two holes. You see what I'm saying? He defied the laws. And he did that as an example for you and I. So that we would understand, now hear me when I say this, that a kingdom lifestyle is a life without limits. Can I say that again? If you and I are children of the kingdom, how many of you are citizens of heaven? Raise your hand. If you're, you're children of the kingdom, Jesus said, he went so far as to say, I've got a kingdom. But my kingdom ain't of this world. That's why he was able to do things that this world says are impossible. If you and I are citizens of the same kingdom that he is, he's our elder brother. Where he is, so are we, even as he is, so are we in this world. Then you and I are supposed to live a kingdom lifestyle. And, and so, when we, so if we define it as a life without limits... Then we need to know how to achieve it. How do I get there? How do I get to live a life beyond the limits that the religious have set for me? You know, the religious people, you, under, you hear this morning? Yes, Fan yourself if you need to, but just don't go to sleep on me. 
Religious people set all kind of limits on us. What you can do, what you can't do, what you can wear, what you can't wear. They even go so far as to mess up with your hairstyle. Huh? Do you know that there are some hairstyles that are just irreligious? And then there are some that are acceptable. Personally, I ain't got to worry about it. But there are some of you that do. I mean, they have, I remember a guy told me one time, red ties were of the devil. Because they were red and they pointed straight to hell. Problem was, I had a red tie on. The religious will say all kinds of things. But if we're going to live a kingdom lifestyle, hear me when I say this, we don't send the word behind us. But we do set traditions and rules made of men behind us. Because our guidelines are God-given, not man-made. And if we're living according to man, listen, man will always set the limits of your life according to their understanding, not God's. They will set the limits of your life according to the things they can see. Your gender, your race, your education, your economic standing. They cannot set the boundaries of your life according to that hidden man filled with potential made in the image of Christ that they can't see. God is the only one capable of defining you because he's the only one that truly knows you and knows what you're made of. So if we're going to live a kingdom lifestyle, we need to understand it's a life without limits. How do we get there? There are some things that are obvious. We need to live a life of faith. How many of you know that without faith, it's impossible to please God? So that, that, that's a no-brainer. we got to have faith. We also need to understand things like grace, right? And, and, and there's some love. We need to understand. But there are some things that are maybe a little less obvious, but no less essential. And today, that's one of the things I want to cover. I want to cover one of the things that you might not consider as necessary, but are absolutely essential if you and I are going to move beyond a limited life to an unlimited life. And when we're living in the unlimited, that's when all things become possible. As long as we're limited, living in a limited life, we set limits on God. But when we move over to the unlimited lifestyle, suddenly everything becomes possible. Go with me, if you would, as we get started in Matthew chapter 25. And I want to begin reading in verse 14. I'm reading this to you out of the New Living Translation. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated. Now, I'm going to stop right there. What's being illustrated? The what? The kingdom is being illustrated by this story. So understand that. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated... By the story of a man going on a long trip, he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Listen to this. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver 
dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them, now listen to this, to give an account of how they had used what they had. I'm par- he, he asked them to give an account for how they had used what they had. Keep that in mind because that will be very important in a few seconds. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. And I love this. Let's celebrate together. God loves promotion. God is not withholding your promotion. Please hear me when I say this, and I say it with all the love I can muster. If ain't nothing happening, it's not because God's withholding. Enough said. God's a good God. Verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, dude. I added that in case you weren't. My good and faithful servant, you have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let the party begin. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose, I was afraid I would lose, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant, from this servant, and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. Verse 29. To those who use well what they are given even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, I don't know if we want to read verse 30 or not, because it's rather harsh. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Today what I want to unpack for you is that to live a kingdom lifestyle requires creativity. Everyone say creativity. creativity. What I want you to notice here this, in, this, in this story, one thing that's very important, many things are in this story are just amazing. But here's what you need to understand. It's not what you lack that limits you or disqualifies you. Everyone say, I'm listening. It's not what you lack that disqualifies you or limits you. It's how you use what you have. See, we got to get the most of us, and hear me, I'm right up there with you. Most of us define ourselves by what we lack. 
We talk about what we would do if we had more money, more time, more resources. We're always talking about what we would do if we had more. And we, are, we, we qualify our inactivity by what we lack. Mm. Here's another thing that's worth noting. The Lord never asked them how they produced. Nor did he instruct them how to produce. He did not say, you invest in corn, you invest in stocks, and you go get a job at AT AT&T. No, no, no. He just gave them according to their ability and expected increase. How they did it, he didn't ask. What he did do was celebrate their production. It was up to their ingenuity and their creativity to use what the Lord had given them to bring increase into the king's kingdom. So I want to say to you again, because we all need to understand this, it's not what we lack that limits us. See, that's a natural mindset. Natural man believes he's limited by what he lacks. The Lord never requires you to produce with what you don't possess. But he does require that you bring production with what you do possess. It's not on what you start with. It's how you use it. And in order to use it, we have to have creativity. Amen? This is about to get good, so keep listening. Listen, God's, thank you, God's approach to problem solving is always creative. Think about that. As you, as you race through the pages of the Bible in your mind, you know how many things God did that were just outstandingly crazy? It seems as if everything God does is just out there. Because God always takes a creative approach to problem solving. As your father is, so are you in this world. So I wrote this down. Why is it then that those of us who claim to have faith in the creative one tend to be instead of creators? Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because we're afraid. Is it possible that our faith is more like the third servant rather than the first two? Our fear, listen to this, our fear of losing is greater than our desire to gain. So we hide. We hide our talents. We hide our abilities. We hide our personalities. We hide our money. Most of us hide because we're afraid of losing. Losing face, losing reputation, losing ground. Is this okay? Why did the last servant fail to produce? Listen to this. Because he was afraid and he held a misconception of God. His fear of making a mistake paralyzed him. Here's what I want to say to you. To live a kingdom lifestyle, we must be creative. To be creative, we must lose our fear of being wrong. That's good. That's good. Can I say that to you again? 
to live a kingdom lifestyle. I mean live like Jesus. Not live like a Pharisee. Not live like a Sadducee. Not to live pretend. But I mean a kingdom lifestyle. Where amazing things happen because we have outlandish faith. To live a kingdom lifestyle, we must be creative. To be creative, we must dump, divorce, and get rid of our fear of being wrong. Because that's what the third servant was. Many of you have heard me share this story before. Many years ago, I was sitting down with the chief of staff of a major ministry. And we began to, or I should say, he began to recite to me how the head of this ministry made mistake after mistake. After mistake. Started things that didn't work out and blew through by mistakes millions of dollars. And yet this ministry continued on as if they never made a single mistake. God always supplied their needs. And when I heard about all these millions of dollars that had been wasted as a missionary, I'm thinking, dude, this is crazy. And this is what I prayed. I said, Lord, you've allowed this man to waste more money than you've ever let me steward. Why is that? What I'm about to say, you need to let sink in. Because this is what the Lord said. His heart is mine. And everything he does, he does for my glory. So I cover his mistakes. Hear me when I say this to you. If your heart is his, and you do what you do for his glory, not yours, and you do what you do to benefit others, not benefit self, then even when you miss it, God's grace is so outstanding. He'll cover your mistakes so that it's as if you never lost any money, any time, any effort. Don't be afraid of being wrong if your heart is his. It's the doctrine of the Pharisee that requires perfection. We need to lose our fear of being wrong. The opposite, listen to this, the opposite of creativity is anxiety. The opposite of creativity is anxiety. And in the book of Philippians chapter 4, Paul wrote these words, Be anxious for nothing. Now how can I, what, what do you mean, pastor, that the opposite of creativity is anxiety? We grow anxious when we begin to believe there's no way out of our predicament. When we begin to think that I'm never going to make it. That, that, that there's just no escape from this place. I'm, we grow anxious when we begin to believe we're trapped. But the creative, listen to me, the creative believe there's a way out. Even if I can't see it. Even if I got to make a way, there is a way out because the Bible says that there is no temptation that will come your way, stand in front of you, block your path, do anything that God has not provided a means of escape. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. But if you don't believe you're ever going to progress, you don't believe you're ever going to make it, you grow anxious. But when you have a creative mindset, you, you think, I don't see it yet, but I know there's a way. I don't know how to build it, but there is a way. I don't know how to write it, but there is a way. I don't know how to sing it, but there is a way. I don't know how to get there, but there is a way. 
away. We have to have a creative mindset, a mindset that's free of anxiety. Is this okay? Listen to this. The more creative you are, the less anxious you are. Because even if you can't see it, you know there is a way. You grow anxious when you begin to feel trapped. So listen to this. So many of God's people are afraid of making a choice. Claiming not to, claiming not to know what God wants, they fail to do anything. Amen? Or oh me. In Exodus chapter 3 and 4, there's an amazing, I just I want to show you how God thinks of things. In Exodus chapter 3 and 4, we find the encounter between God and Moses. God calls Moses to an impossible task. And Moses begins to give God a list of reasons why he can't do it. Can you relate to Moses? I don't speak well. There's other men that have more, do more, are more educated. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. And besides, they won't even believe me. God asked him a single question. What do you have in your hand? He wasn't disqualified by what he lacked. He gave God a list of what he lacked. Please hear me. God gave Moses a call. Moses gave God a list of what he lacked. I lack ability. I lack integrity. They're not going to believe me. God said, listen, I just want to know what do you have? What do you got in your hand? And God used a stick. A stick. A stick. To deliver a people. What God was saying was, Moses, I know what you ain't got. But let me show you what I can do with what you do have. If all you have is a stick, give it to me. And let me show you how I can make a stick a serpent. How I can make a stick a rod. How I can make a stick a staff. How I can make a stick bloom. Moses saw what he wasn't. God saw what he could do. God is creative. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 12 and 13. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. You remember this story. She was in a bad way. And what she was doing was out gathering some sticks and she was just going to create a little fire and cook her a little bit of flour with her little bit of oil, make a little cake, And she and her son were going to eat it and die. Verse 13, then Elijah said to her, do not fear. (laughs) Go do as you have said. Isn't that a kick in the head? (laughs) The prophet of God comes and says, you know, that's just, she's going, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting some sticks. 
And I'm going to mix my oil and my flour, going to cook a little cake, give my son one, me one, and then we're just going to die. And he says, go do as you said. But first, make me a little cake. What am I telling you? God's instructions seldom make sense. And I'm going to show you in a little bit about if we're listening to the voice of God, the creative one, he always gives us creative solutions. But a lot of times they don't make sense. Why? Because here's the sad reality. We think more carnally than we do spiritually. We look at 2 plus 2 equaling 4 instead of a th- 1 putting 1,000 to flight and 2 putting 10,000 to flight. We think like mere men instead of God men. We got to change the way we think because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And we got to understand, listen, if all I've got are some sticks, if I give God those sticks, he can set me up for the rest of my life. So the prophet says, he says, you know what, I ain't even going to argue with you. Because in the natural, you're right. In the natural, it's falling apart. In the natural, you're at the end. But if you put God first, if you listen to some crazy instructions, you don't have to die. Hmm. He didn't dispute her predicament. He agreed with it. But he gave her a set of instructions. Listen to this. God instructs us to use what we have in creative ways in order to achieve kingdom purposes. When the water was sour, he said, throw in a log. He always gives people silly instructions. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians. Is this okay? You following me? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. I never did set my clock, so I don't know when I began. So there ain't no telling when I'm going to end. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Now that word foolish in the Greek is the word moros. From where we get the word moron. Hello? Another way of saying this is God has chosen the moronic things. To confuse the wise, the word wise is Sophos, where we get the word sophisticated. So let's change it up a little bit. God has chosen the moronic things to confuse and bewilder the sophisticated. This is where it becomes ouch. If the instructions of God make no sense to you, it's because you're too sophisticated for your own good. I'll preach to the wall, y'all. Many times God tells us to do something and we say that don't make no sense. If what God tells us to do, we debate with the Almighty, we argue with the Creator because what He tells us to do is moronic, then we're too sophisticated. Perhaps we need to get a little bit more simple in our obedience. Lord, you said it. I believe it. And I'll do it. I really do think, listen, I really do believe we ought never argue with God. A, because I've tried. And you always lose. 
And my wife can tell you, I'm pretty good at debating. I can win arguments I know nothing about. Just because I pretend. But every time I've argued with God, I lose. It's like he knows more. He's better with words. I, I'm, I know, it's hard to believe, but he shuts me down every time. I really do believe that when God gives us instructions, we ought to just say, yes, sir. That's it. I ain't going to debate. Lord, in my natural mind, which you, I need money, so you tell me to give. I want to be promoted, so you tell me to serve. I don't understand what you're saying because to the sophisticated, it makes no sense. But God chose it to be that way. Why? Why would God choose it to be this way? Let me show you another verse. Is this okay? Yes, Go to the uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29. This is the whole reason why God chose it this way. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Because when God, when you do it God's way, it makes no sense and it ought not to work. It ought, it, it just, it, to the sophisticated, it, it, no, 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 no. This, this, remember I told you a couple weeks ago why the world always thinks preachers are thieves? Because they can't understand the blessing. How do you get rich doing that? And so because they can't understand it, you have to be a thief. Because they can't, comp- look at this, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Do you see that? They can't comprehend it. They, in their world, it makes no sense. Now, where we go from being powerful to impotent is when we try to live by their rules. Because we're in this kingdom, but we're seeking to fit into that kingdom. Because we all have this desire to be understood and accepted. But you need to be careful who you're trying to be accepted by. Because if to them the things of God are foolishness and you seek to be a part of their club, the only way you can do it is set aside the instructions of God. And if you do that, you prohibit entry into a kingdom lifestyle. I think it's better to be thought a fool and be powerful than to be thought wise and be impotent. Hmm? I mean, this is, this is why Paul said, Paul said this, he said, I know y'all think I'm foolish. He said it really, he said, I know you think I'm the court jester. Hmm? You look at me and you think that I'm just a joke. But God used Paul mightily. But to the natural mind, Paul made no sense. And if you and I want to walk in that kingdom life, where when something impossible comes before us, we walk through it as if it didn't exist. When, when, when lack envelops the land and manna falls in our yard. 
When disease runs rampant through the land and we walk through so immune that not only do we not get diseased, we become an agent of cure and remedy for those who are diseased. When we walk in the world but we don't live as if we're in the world, we are here but we are part of there. We operate by a different set of rules. If you and I want to quit playing church and start being church, we've got to lay aside our fear of being wrong. And we can't let them regulate everything. Well, how we dress, how we walk, how we talk. I remember the first time I preached without a suit and tie. I was waiting for lightning. I didn't, listen, I didn't think you could be anointed in blue jeans. Why? Because I had been taught you couldn't. You following me? I discovered God ain't not got nothing against denim. And God likes tennis shoes. You hear? There's freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. He asked the Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has pulled the wool over your eyes that you would be set free in Christ and now you become bond, bondmen again? You've been come in bondage to rules and regulations and you've laid aside the freedom that is in Christ. To be free, we have to understand that even when we're faced with impossibilities, there is a way. It makes no sense to the world. The world don't see it. The world can't comprehend it. But if I need be, I can walk on water. If need be, I can walk through walls. If need be, God will pour out a blessing for me that there's not even room enough to contain, no matter how it comes or where it comes from. My God can do the impossible. The only thing he ever asked is, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? anyone that's going to believe me above what they can see and beyond what they can hear? Is there anyone that's going to believe I'm still a creator? And that I can still take the nickel, the last nickel they have, and set them up to be multimillionaires. He's still the God of the Bible, amen? But a natural man does not accept these things. For they are foolishness to him. And listen to this. He cannot. He cannot. He cannot understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually appraised. God's answer to increase is decrease. To be promoted is to become a servant. To become the first is to become the last. To become the greatest is to become the least. Listen to this. Creativity removes the limits of life. And allows us to produce more with less. In art, I'm no artist, but I googled it, so it's got to be right. I understand that in the world of art, there's only three colors. But to the creative, they can mix and match those colors to make every masterpiece man's ever seen. Three colors. But with those three colors, a multitude of masterpieces. I'm no musician, as many of you can attest. But I understand that in the realm of music, there's only seven notes. And from those seven notes, we get everything from rock to reggae, from country to gospel. And everything in between. Because to the creative, seven is not limiting its building blocks. It's not about what the musician doesn't have. It's about how they use. 
It's about how they use what they have. Instead of crying that God didn't create 70 notes, they take the seven notes and create masterpieces. I understand that in the world of architecture, there's only three basic shapes. Only three. But to the creative, there are no limitations. So they take those three basic shapes and they build the Taj Mahal. They build the wonders of the world. They build structures to the use of men and the glory of God. What do you have? What do you have? And why have you allowed yourself to be limited? Because what you have seems to be so little. Only three. Only seven. Only three. You hear this morning. Limitations are never limiting to the creative. No matter what limitations life has handed you, if you are creative, you can make God's dreams come true. Hmm. Creativity is essential to life. Essential to the fulfilling of a dream and essential to the fulfilling of divine destiny. I want to say that you and I were created to be creative. You and I were created to be creative, to represent Him in this world. You hear this morning. Go to the Proverbs chapter 8. I'm bringing this to a close. Which to the creative means nothing. Because the limitation of the clock I do not recognize. Don't be afraid, because fear limits you. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 8, verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. If you look this up in a multitude of translations, it's really amazing. I, I give you understanding of designs and devices. I, wisdom, will give you insight into complexities and make complexities simple. I'll make you understand the internet. I'll give you understanding of social media. I'll show you how even if you're homebound to make millions selling things on the internet. I'll give you insight. This is what wisdom is saying. Wisdom is saying, I'm going to help you understand things that you ain't got no understanding of. I'll I'll give you insight into witty ideas and inventions. Where other people cry about being homebound, you'll make millions from your lazy boy. You can touch the world by being a missionary in pajamas. Hello? Because wisdom doesn't recognize limitations. Wisdom says, let me show you how it's done. The wisdom of God will make us creative, imaginative, ingenious, inventive, original, and resourceful. I'm going to say that again. The wisdom of God. James said, if any of you lack wisdom, do what? Let him ask of God. And God will give to him bountifully. And not abrade him, not make him feel ashamed for asking. Now, it's interesting in that in James, the word that the the original word means both natural and spiritual. If you need natural wisdom, ask of God. But if, 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 if there is no answer in the natural, ask for spiritual wisdom. Lord, help me understand how to get out of it because in the natural, I'm trapped. 
In the natural, the doctor's diagnosis of my problem is fatal. Lord, I've, I've received the third and final notice. They're coming to take everything. In the natural, there is no way out. So it's not natural wisdom I need here. I need some spiritual wisdom. Ask of God. But be prepared that his instructions, now this is why I'm bringing it to a close. Be prepared that his instructions may seem moronic. That's right. Okay. That's the truth. Be prepared. He might tell you to do something that nobody thinks is wise. But this is where you and I need to learn to discern the voice of God for ourselves. We need to learn how to hear God. Can I say that again? We need to learn how to hear God because he said, my sheep, they don't recognize my voice. Is that what he said? My sheep know. They know my voice. And so when our creator gives us a creative solution to our problem, what do we say? Yes, sir. I'll do exactly what you said. To the sophisticated, it seems moronic, but I am prepared to be a fool. To do things that no one thinks is intelligent or wise. Is this okay? To live the kingdom lifestyle, we faith, obedience, and grace, but also creativity, ingenuity. Don't be afraid of being an original. Why do we always got to sing the same songs they sing? Why do we always got to dress like they do? Right? I'm trying to bring this to a close. I really am. But I remember when, when my wife and I were missionaries and this, this, this thing called Hillsong. I didn't even know what it was when I first heard it. It was everywhere we went. I thought it was a new coffee or something. But I noticed in every church I went, the worship leaders looked exactly the same. You know, you know what I'm saying? They had long, straight, blonde hair, dressed the same. And I didn't, I, I thought, wow, the... What is this? Until I saw a picture of Darlene. And I thought, wow, the Christian world imitates her. And we do the same now. Every worship leader wears skinny jeans that are torn at the knees. Every one of them. They go out and they buy the tightest pair of Megans they can. What are Megans? They're leggings for men. And we think by wearing tight, tight jeans that really ought not to be worn in public, that means we're anointed. No, it just means you're a copycat. Can I, are we keeping it real? Why not just be you? I personally don't like things that tight. I don't got a body that ought to be seen in that things that tight. Yeah? So I ain't afraid of being me. In fact, can, can I bring it? I used to so struggle in ministry because I wasn't a true preacher. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a... <laughs> I'm not a preacher in that, and yet I'm not really a teacher either. There's others many, much more intelligent than I am. And I didn't know my place. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a preacher. What am I? <laughs> I tried to be what they were. Larry can understand this. I used, to, I used to preach and hold my Bible like this. Do you know, want to know why? Because that's what my pastor did. His name was Jimmy Swaggart. He always held up his Bible, so I thought if I could hold my Bible. And the problem was I was too poor to get a loose one like this. It was a hardback, so it, was, it, it wouldn't bend. 
and I couldn't find one that bent. Now I got one, and I don't care. But we thought if I could just imitate him. When we were at Ramah, Brother Hagen was 80 years old, and there were 18-year-olds that mimicked him. They would crouch over and bend their fingers like this. Because that's what Brother Hagen did. You see what I'm saying? Imitators. Imitators. Why? Because we're afraid of being original and we're afraid of being wrong. What if God doesn't like the real me? What if they don't like the real me? What if people don't like it when I'm just Jimmy? And I do my Motown moves. And I admit to you that one of my favorite bands is not Hillsong. It's Temptations. Which is a biblical word, so they got to be biblical. <laughs> I've discovered over the years that God wants me to be me, yes, fully submitted to Him, right. but me. Right. And He ain't trying to make me you, and He ain't trying to make you me. Right. He wants us to be who He created, because only in that... Will we ever fully celebrate him? It's not in mimicry. Amen. But that means we have to be creative. We have to be secure. Amen. Is this okay? I kind of felt like I was just rambling, but I hope it helped you. Hallelujah. Let, let's close your eyes, bow your head. We'll receive the offering in just a moment. Glenn, would you come up, please, sir? And here's what I want to pray. If this applies to you, then I want you, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you made me unique. You made me an original. So, Father, I embrace who you called me to be. And I cease being competitive. And I cease being a mimic and an echo. Lord, I Repent of anxiety. What if they don't like me? What if they don't accept me? Feeling trapped by not only my predicament, but by my own personality. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I receive the kingdom lifestyle. To live in freedom, creativity, faith, obedience, and grace. Freedom. Freedom from all those things. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Can we all listen to the voice of the Spirit for a second? I just feel like some of you need to make a step. You've been in hiding. You've been hiding your abilities. You've been hiding your desires. You've been hiding in the church and some hiding out of the church. But you've been afraid that if anyone ever really knew you, that they would reject you. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come up front. We're just making a step out of hiding. And sometimes you have to do in the natural something to activate the spiritual. So I feel that applies to more than one of us here. If that's you... It's time to come out of hiding. 
And would you please make a physical step by coming out of your seat and coming down front? I won't prolong it long. But this is your opportunity, not for exposure, but for freedom. 